From the moment we, we met in 81, it, it has always been on our mind to leave the country and move to the free world. Sculptor Lubin Boykov defected to Canada from Bulgaria in 1990 with his wife, painter Elena Popova. The Iron Curtain was just starting to crumble. And for a young couple who were born under communism, who were the children of artists whose creative lives had been limited by Soviet politics, the pull of the West was strong. Their journey out of Bulgaria was a harrowing one. Under the guise of a vacation to Cuba, Lubin and Elena and their baby girl boarded a flight that they hoped would stop in Canada to refuel. And when it did, they made their move. And that's when the Russian passengers stood in our way and started screaming that we're traitors of the communist ideal, that we're defectors, and there's no chance in hell we're leaving this plane. And that's when a brawl basically exploded because we were really committed to, to fight for our lives. Lubin disappeared and I said, I'm taking off to Cuba if I don't fight my way through, so I had to. The Gander International Airport was the site of tens of thousands of defections from Soviet bloc countries in the 1980s and 90s. Some days, more than 300 people would claim refugee status in Gander. 300. An incredible number. Most moved on to other provinces. But Lubin and Elena fell in love with the province where they first touched down in the free world. The Newfoundland environment, natural environment, and the landscape really impacted my work. I was surrounded by the harsh landscape and, 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 and weather of, of, of Newfoundland, and it somehow permeated me. I was ready to start a new life and to, to be happy again. We had a white canvas in front of us, and for an artist, this is um, a new beginning. Lubin and Elena's story is coming up on Countless Journeys. Journeys. The, the plane began to descend, but we had no idea where we were. We noticed in the distance a terminal building with the Canadian flag, and uh, we had to basically fight for our lives. At that time, it was Portuguese women coming to Canada, like my mother. We were coming here to build a better life, but also to help build Canada. Nous sommes venus ici. Le Canada nous a donné le meilleur. Alors, donnons au Canada le meilleur. Instead of feeling torn between my two realities, I decided to feel happy wherever I am. Slowly but surely, I came to realize that, hey, I can make something out of this here. J'ai vraiment réalisé la force de ce pays. Everywhere I travel now, there's no place like coming home to Canada. Welcome to Countless Journeys from the Canadian Museum of Immigration at Pier 21. My name is Paolo Pietro Paolo, and I'm joined by producer Tina Pitaway. Hello, Tina. Hi, Paolo. 
You know, Tina, he- hearing about that situation faced by Lubin and Elena on the plane, and, and just trying to imagine what it could possibly have been like to realize they would have to fight their way off that plane and, and then to have the courage to do it. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's a, it's a story that, that it sounds like it's straight out of Hollywood. It absolutely does. Uh, that airplane confrontation is absolutely harrowing. And to think that thousands and thousands of others found themselves in Gander, Newfoundland throughout that era in very similar circumstances is pretty mind-blowing. It, it is. And in a way, it's, it's kind of a, a forgotten part of Gander's history mm-hmm. now, isn't it? If, or if not forgotten, then, then lesser known anyway, because, because of what's happened since that time. Right. I mean, Gander was really made famous by, by 9-11 and, and the terrorist attacks on the U.S. when so many flights were, were rerouted to Gander. Mm-hmm. And then it was made even more famous by the Broadway musical Come From Away, which recounts that time in Newfoundland. Yeah, and you know, it was actually in part Gander's experience with welcoming so many Soviet-era refugees that helped in some ways uh, prepare them to handle that crisis. Tina, you've put together a documentary to, to bring us behind the scenes of just one of those thousands of stories that have their, their pivot point in Gander. It's a very tumultuous and gutsy journey of immigration, the story of sculptor Lubin Boykov and painter Elena Popova. You spoke with Lubin and Elena recently. I did, uh, and they split their time now uh, between Canada and Sicily, Italy. Uh, They were in Sicily when we spoke, and in fact, you'll hear a tiny bit of an echo because they are surrounded by beautiful Italian tile flooring throughout their home. (laughs) The the acoustics of Italian architecture. (laughs) Okay, I'll, I'll try to picture those beautiful tiles when I hear that echo. (laughs) Absolutely. And as artists, uh, they're used to opening themselves up to the world through their art. And I have to say they were just as generous in conversation. Oh, I can't wait to hear this documentary you've put together. Tina, thank you so much. Thanks, Paolo. And it was a love at first sight. Uh, It was the very first day, the very first minute I entered the, the university and um, yeah, I saw this very, very tall man, no hair, coming out of the military service with a dart in his, his hand. And then our eyes met and I said to myself, oh my God, yeah. Lena was hell-bent and so was I to focus on, on art and studies and avoid any any distractions, particularly the ones associated with, with emotional attachments. So both of us had this uh, program in, in, in our heads that basically came to, to a sudden crash the, the moment our, our, uh, eyes, our met. eyes met and our uh, eyes engaged, and uh, that, that was pretty much it. And this was 41 years ago. My name is Elena. Elena Popova, in fact. I'm 60 years old. I'm born in Sofia, Bulgaria. And I lived almost my entire life between uh, Sofia and Newfoundland, Canada. And I'm an artist. I'm Lubin Boykov. I'm an artist too. And uh, we immigrated to Canada when we were very young and we spent a lot of time, three decades in Newfoundland. A love of art was something both Elena and Lubin grew up with in the 1960s and 70s in their hometown of Sofia, Bulgaria. 
My father uh, was a sculptor. I grew up in an artistic family. Um, all of my parents' guests were musicians, architects, uh, uh, artists. So the most natural thing, I guess, was to keep going with the, with, in the art field. <laughs> my father was a sculptor too, and my upbringing was really the, the foundation for, for the choice that I made to become an artist. You're a copycat. <laughs> I'm a copycat. And uh, by osmosis, we, we, we were saturated with those energies and values and dreams and aspirations. Life for artists living in Bulgaria before the fall of communism came with all sorts of challenges and pressures, and Lupin and Elena's fathers were no exception to that reality. They navigated a, a very treacherous and, and complex world because both our fathers were... Uh, free-spirited individuals and, by definition, incompatible uh, with a uh, totalitarian political context. So that they had to play a very complex role uh, on the one hand surviving as artists and on the other hand expressing their true values as, as individuals, human beings, and uh, also their artistic creeds, sometimes at, at, at the cost of political trouble or lost job opportunities, hard economic times, financial difficulties. The stories are endless, but one comes to mind. My father was arrested, for example, in his 30s uh, for looking at an art book of Van Gogh art. So that tells you the whole story. Very different from the reality that we lived in, uh, in, in Canada, coming to, to the free world and having all the freedom of expression to do whatever we wanted to. From the moment we, we met in 81, it has always been on our mind to, to leave the country and move to the free world. We were not allowed to leave the country. Occasionally, that they will allow one person and keep somebody close to them as a hostage back in the country so that they had a guarantee the person would come back. And uh, in 89, Bulgaria and all the other Eastern Bloc countries were forced by the West through economic sanctions and pressures, and also because the, the, prior to the collapse of the Berlin Wall, two months prior, uh, they were forced, so to speak, uh, by the Helsinki Accord, which they had signed, which basically one of the stipulations of, of the accord was free possession of, of a passport. Having access to passports for the first time in their lives, Elena and Lubin began to search for ways to defect from Bulgaria. They shared their plans with their parents. They were devastated, um, four of them. Uh, I'm an only child and Lubin is an only child. Uh, Anna was the only grandchild. Uh, so you can imagine uh, there was... Um, incredibly moving to say goodbye to them, not knowing when we will see them again. Traveling directly to a Western country was still a no-go. But they'd heard rumors that some flights bound for Havana, Cuba, routinely stopped for refueling in Gander, Newfoundland. So in the winter of 1990, Lubin and Elena packed their bags and bundled up their two-year-old daughter, Anna. 
And we were, we were telling Anna, she was uh, old enough to understand that we are traveling. She was two years old. And I said, Anna, we're going to, the, to a beautiful place. We're going to a very nice place. We boarded a plane uh, en route to Havana via Moscow, hoping that it would touch down to refuel somewhere in North America, either the United States or Canada. There were about 30 or 40 uh, Eastern, Eastern uh, European nationals. Uh, among them, there were, there were some Polish, a couple of Czechs, Bulgarians. Uh, there were a few people from Sri Lanka. Lubin and Elena took their seats at the front of the plane. Elena held baby Anna in her arms. Uh, we noticed that almost all the passengers, uh, Russian nationals, were agents. So we knew that we could expect some, some resistance from them because uh, at the time it was clear to everyone uh, that all the Eastern Europeans were potential defectors. They settled in for a long and nerve-wracking flight. And then, about seven hours into it... The plane uh, started descending. We had no idea where we were, absolutely no idea, because no information was given, no PA system announcements, nothing. And uh, when it got closer to the ground, we noticed that there was snow on the ground. So we knew we were not in Havana, but we had no idea where we were. And when it touched down and uh, uh, as it was taxing on the runway, we noticed in the distance a terminal building with the Canadian flag. So we knew we were in Canada. To their surprise, the plane remained on the runway and didn't approach a terminal to allow passengers to get off while the plane refueled. And we knew that it was not legal to, to refuel the plane with the passengers on board, so we asked some of the attendants, and of course, they did not respond at all. And uh, we had to basically take things into our own hands. We just looked around, Elena and I. She was sitting next to me with our baby at the time. There was another woman with a baby sitting just behind us, and there were about 30 or 40 total uh, passengers whom we immediately recognized as potential defectors. But we were the first ones in the first row with two more younger uh, Bulgarians, and we just looked at each other basically without uttering a word we said, let's go. So we just stood up and uh, started moving towards the front of the plane where we were hoping to find an emergency exit or an exit. And that's when uh, some of the Soviet passengers, the Russian passengers, stood in our way and started screaming that, at us that we're traitors of the, of the communist ideal, that we're defectors, and there's no chance in hell we're leaving this plane. And that's when a brawl basically exploded because we were really committed to, to fight for our lives. And we managed to overtake them because there were lots of us. Uh, he was so determined to, to, to get out of the plane. And, and of course, I, I was a bit more hesitant because I had uh, a baby in my arms and a couple of bags. The, the rest of the passengers behind us were also pushing and we basically trampled over them. Lubin and the other passengers in the front of the plane fought their way to an exit. They forced open the door and released an emergency ladder. After another encounter with a couple of the pilots, I ran out, uh, out of the plane uh, right on, on the tarmac. And at that point, 
I realized that Elena was nowhere to be seen. Luben disappeared, and basically I said, uh, I'm taking off to Cuba if I don't uh, fight my way through, so I had to. And I was prevented by the hostesses, and I literally had to kick and hit. And they were pushing Anna, and I was pushing them back, and, and uh, trying to, to, to prevent her from being hurt. I hurt myself on the railway. I was bruised and, and finally I tumbled down from this small staircase and uh, Luben was uh, waiting for me so I just uh, gave him Anna. Threw the baby uh, in my arms baby. and we ran on the tarmac as, as fast as we could. There were a couple of police, Canadian RCMP police cruisers parked so once we were on the tarmac we knew we were safe. I was choking, I had tears in my eyes, I couldn't breathe and I, I was trying desperately to to take a breath of air and uh, I did and it was minus 20. Uh, I could feel the cold the cold air but I was the, the, the freshest breath of air I ever took. I was just <gasps> and when we entered the Terminal. There was a small children's playground there with monkey bars and she saw it and she said, is this the, the nice place? And we said, yes, that's a nice place. <laughs> go, go hang, go hang from the monkey bars. This was the that beginning, was... the beginning of, of, of our adventure. In the early part of the 1990s, more than 3,000 Bulgarian refugees defected while they were en route through the Gander International Airport. Most would go on to other parts of the country, but about 30 or so decided to stay in Newfoundland. Lubin and Elena hadn't planned on staying, but a simple twist of fate set them on another uncharted course. Maybe a month passed and uh, there were these organized bus trips by, by the federal government for people who wanted to move to different parts of Canada and we wanted to go to Montreal mostly because Elena spoke French and she was really struggling with, with English. And uh, we had to come up with uh, $200 for the three of us, for the family, to cover the, the subsidized, obviously, cost of the, of the trip. But uh, when the time came to, to pay for our tickets, we were $20 short. We had 180 and we couldn't board, board this, this bus. And this is a small, tiny, insignificant circumstance that changed our lives because in this interim, a few things happened. We met people, uh, we established contacts, we saw opportunities for us in, in St. John's in Newfoundland and we decided to stay. I was uh, ready to to start a new life and to to be happy again. Um, we had a white canvas in front of us, and for an artist, this is um, a new beginning. Getting your bearings in a new country takes time, no matter what your profession. And with a small child and another soon to follow, Elena took time out from art to focus on her family. I had to learn the, the language. Um, I had a, a baby and we were struggling. Um, so seven, eight years passed uh, before I could go back. And we had a second child in the meantime. 
Lubin Boykov is a classically trained sculptor, working mostly with bronze. For that kind of work, you need a foundry. And at the time, there wasn't a suitable foundry available in the province for the kind of works he created. But things turned around when he met a professor from Memorial University. Uh, I had this, this uh, incredible opportunity to, to meet a, a, a man uh, by the name of John Evans, with whom we immediately clicked. He was a, a biology professor at the university in St. John's, at Memorial University, actually a, quite a well-known internationally and well-established scholar. And uh, he came to me one day and said, would you like to come and work in a small barn that I have on my property and we can set up a studio for you to do something and maybe uh, as a token of gratitude down the way you will give me one small sculpture. And so we did, we renovated this barn and it became my first studio and I started working and slowly over time uh, we accumulated a little bit of, of seed money to uh, put into a larger studio and started building uh, a sculpture foundry and over the years it grew, it became one of the first environmentally friendly foundry in Canada. The physical landscape, the sky, the cliffs, the ocean, the wind, all began to influence Lubin's sculptures. The, the Newfoundland environment, natural environment and the landscape really impacted my work and then it somehow permeated me and I started working with whatever was around me. I started working with leaves, with branches, with uh, grasses, different organic materials. It just naturally, spontaneously came, came to life. And ever since, since the mid-90s to this day, I'm really a attracted to, to those materials, to working with simple, humble, natural materials that I find around me. Elena returned to painting within a few years with a show at The Rooms in St. John's that featured the artwork of several other Bulgarian artists who made Newfoundland their home after defecting. And Elena counts some of the paintings she did for a show there in 1997 as some of the best of her career. So, in 97 or 8, uh, I had my first solo show and I exploded with so much to tell and, uh, uh, and spill out. Uh, Lubin, in fact, told me uh, your, your work is, sounds like you've been like an artist who's been muted for, for a long time. And, and that's how it felt. I, I was muted for... For years and years, but then it was bang, <laughs> I exploded and it felt great, it felt great. I set myself free to, to do whatever I want, to say whatever um, I was moved by um, at the moment and I was crying over the human drama, I was inspired by the, a beautiful uh, song, I was uh, Crying in a in a good way uh, over love and and loss and the whole spectrum of of, uh, of life, and this is who I am as an artist. I love life. Um, I do appreciate the the beautiful moments, but um, 
The difficult are just as important. I don't know where creativity comes from and how the relationship to, to line and shape and color relates to an individual. It's, it's something that is born inside me. Elena's work, like Lubin's, has been incredibly influenced by her surroundings in Newfoundland. With more than 300 finished canvases over the course of her 40-year career, I asked Elena if she had one or two that she felt were the best of her best. One comes to mind. I was called Rockwater. It was a completely abstract piece uh, that represented the land, the people, and the water. Uh, I wouldn't dare to interpret it. This is a, a very bad idea for an artist to interpret uh, their own work. Um, but it was a, it was a powerful, powerful piece of art. Uh, one of my best because represented exactly uh, what I described: the the rock, the water, the people the air and the wind of, of my life and my presence in Newfoundland. I have another piece that I kind of treasure and it's, uh, it's here with us actually uh, in Sicily. Uh, it's called The End is Love. It is a somewhat dark piece, uh, quite mm, monotonous in terms of color, because usually my, my, my work is very vibrant and have many, many colors. This, is, this particular piece is dark, but has a gold woven, woven into the fabric of the dark. That is probably uh, what, what I feel about this life. It is always dark, but there's always gold woven in, in it. And I like the title, The End is Love. What, what else can we say? Both Elena and Lubin's work is heavily influenced with ideas of transformation, movement, transience. And one major work that Lubin was commissioned to co-create is a testament to human movement. The sculpture that uh, I created in collaboration with uh, a Swedish sculptor, Richard Brixel, was in celebration of the thousand year uh, since the arrival of the Vikings in North America. But it was not focused solely on the event, more it was built around or inspired by the concept of the full circle, whereby human populations up until that point had never fully circumnavigated the globe. The massive sculpture is called The Meeting of Two Worlds. It's located at the UNESCO World Heritage Site at Lonzo Meadows in Newfoundland. And since we as a species left Africa, those streams of people who populated the globe had never fully encircled it. So the Vikings allegedly were the first ones having crossed the Atlantic Ocean and met with the indigenous populations of, of North America at the time in, on the Northern Peninsula in, in Newfoundland. They uh, established this full circle connection between those streams of humanity. So on a more philosophical level, perhaps this was the first act of globalization. 
And this was the, the, the foundation behind, behind the idea. And we wanted to somehow replicate, reenact rather, this, this momentous event. And this is the reason why I chose to, to invite Richard Brixell for, for a collaboration, each one of us creating one form representative of those two main streams of people. His, his form, they, they, they were rather abstract, uh, was shaped like a, like a sail of a Viking ship, but very organic. Mine was more streamlined, like an arrow that was invoking movement over land. So movement over water, over land, and these two forms meet without really touching each other. There is a bit of an empty space between them, and they form a bridge, and they're so large that it's actually a bridge so that human beings can walk under those forms. And uh, they create those two moments of, of human endeavor to reconnect with each other. It sounds a little bit more poetic than perhaps it really was because there were skirmishes between the Vikings and, and Aboriginals. Uh, but irrespective of that, it had to do with movement, with the spirit of change and movement and exploration and uh, finding new worlds and places. Basically, it is the, the uneasy spirit of of motion. So on, on, on those grounds, I could strongly identify myself with, with those impulses that, that guided so many of our ancestors. While the places Lubin and Elena have called home have changed over the years, the one constant that is evident in speaking with them is their love and respect for each other and their art. There's so much talent in this world, but most of all, I have this, this artist next to me with whom I communicate, and I chose to, to communicate uh, not on, on the level of, 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 uh, of bed, the house, uh, the, the, the plate, the, the church, the, the sky. I chose uh, someone with whom I can communicate daily on, on, the, uh, uh, on the work level. We can uh, be each other's admirers, and uh, that's um, that's fabulous. That's absolutely priceless. I I, I love the the work Luban creates, and sometimes I get lost in it. Um, I admire his work so much that I I feel so insignificant sometimes next to to Luban's work, and I said, Oh my God, what what am I doing? Look at Luban. This, this goes for me as well. Next to Lena's, uh, my work seems uh, secondary uh, in importance and, and quality. So we admire the other's work absolutely naturally, it so happens, than, than, than our own. I don't think we, we, we have a, an explanation uh, why. Uh, our relationships being so harmonious, uh, uh, not only between us, but in, in the work field. Um, I have no idea why it, it's been working so well. Uh, of course, we had our arguments and, and our uh, differences, uh, of course, and our fights. Ooh. But uh, overall, it's been uh, an incredibly uh, beautiful and, and light, full of light uh, relationship. 
After 30 years in Newfoundland, Lubin and Elena now split their time between Toronto and Sicily, and their path to Sicily was as random as the flight path that brought them to Gander. I woke up one morning uh, uh, after a very uh, vivid dream and I told Lubin, I have to share uh, with you the dream I had. Uh, let's um, have a coffee and I'll tell you more about it. And uh, I said, I have a feeling that we should go and explore the island of Sicily. I have a feeling that we should probably spend more time in Sicily. Uh, and Lubin looked at me and said, really? I said, why? What do you think? And he said, hmm, you lead the way and I'll follow you. I didn't expect that answer. I, I expected, what? Sicily? Where the hell do you want to go? Why? We found ourselves in Catania which is one of the big cities in Sicily. And after two hours uh, strolling down and up on the streets of Catania, um, completely muted, we didn't talk to each other. Uh, I said, Lubin, what do you think? And he, he said, yeah, I think this is it. Sicily is Newfoundland of the South. So many similarities uh, that it is uncanny. Really it is. It took us a while to, to, to discover it. We didn't come for this reason, but over time, uh, even to this day, we, we hardly a day passes whereby we wouldn't make an observation, doesn't that remind you of Newfoundland? Doesn't this reaction, this, this look, this uh, gesture of people, their kindness or their uh, nonchalant attitude towards the vagaries of life. Islanders, I guess, are similar the world over. We don't know that many, but when we were looking at, at, at pictures that we'd taken years ago, and it was a picture of a family painting uh, with a, their little boat, punt turned upside down, and the whole family, father, mother, and, and a daughter, were, were painting the boat. And I, I told Elena, oh, look, uh, the, we must have taken this in, in Puchkov. Puchkov was where we lived just outside St. John's. And Elena said, no, look closely, that's Sicily just around the corner here. In describing this scene, the boat, the couple, the child, Elena considers for a moment what their parents would make of it all. Her mother still lives in Bulgaria and Elena returns often to help care for her. The others are gone. Quite often, I, I regret the fact that we can't spend more time in life with our parents and grandparents. And we, we talk almost every, every other day uh, how much we miss them. And we often imagine, what would my father say or what would Lubin mother say if they're here with us around the table or in Toronto or anywhere, anywhere else? And we know that they would smile, they would be happy to, to see what we've achieved with, with our love, first of all, uh, that we raised to beautiful human beings. And even though we, we didn't achieve anything extraordinary, we just followed our path and our beliefs and we didn't budge. We, to, to take risks, as uh, Borges says, 
and, and this is uh, a quote uh, when he was 90 almost. If I was younger, I would take more chances, I would travel more around the world and I will see more sunsets. And I think we're doing that. We're trying to, um, to take more chances and to see more sunsets. Uh, we haven't traveled uh, a lot in the last couple of years, except between Toronto and uh, Newfoundland and, and Bulgaria, where I go often to, to look, look after my mother. But um, this will come too. We'll hopefully uh, see more sunsets in the rest of our lives. Artists Elena Popova and Lubin Boykov spoke with Countless Journeys producer Tina Pidaway from their home in Catania in Sicily. If you'd like to hear more stories like this one and help new listeners discover this podcast, make sure to rate Countless Journeys on your favorite podcast app or leave us a review. Countless Journeys comes to you from the Canadian Museum of Immigration at Pier 21, located at the Halifax Seaport. Thanks for listening. My name is Paolo Pietro Paolo. Bye for now.